Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I am excited to see you all and particularly to share uh, the, the great news that is four to five years in the making now for the city of Boston. It's been a long journey and um, we're, we're very excited and thankful to all those who've had a role over these many, many years and many agencies uh, reviewing the city's application and permitting uh, for rebuilding the Long Island Bridge. This has always been about more than one particular stretch of uh, infrastructure. This is about people and the opportunity for an island to really unlock uh, the pathways to recovery, stabilization, workforce development, community, and so much more. Um, we are now taking this as a sign that the city will move ahead with the reconstruction of the Long Island Bridge. The DEP permit was the last substantive review. There are a few other, um, I believe two other permits that remain that are, are more of a, a checklist of making sure you have all of the other agencies approvals that have come before. And uh, we expect those to follow this last substantive permit. We are uh, planning not only for an expedited uh, quick process on the bridge reconstruction, which will work off of the um, still existing piers or, or uh, pieces that are still left uh, of the former bridge, but also a parallel track that is going to get the buildings up and running in, in phases. And so that by the time um, in four years when the bridge is done, the building, the first phase of the campus will also be available and we can get right to it. Uh, we can't waste any time, any more time in this project. It is about creating an island of opportunity that will connect people to the lives and uh, community and, and um, pathways that they deserve. We know and see every day that the need is growing and that Boston is a center city that provides services for those coming in from all across the region, the Commonwealth, beyond, uh, outside the state as well. And we look forward to working very closely with all of our community partners uh, who are really nation leading examples of how to provide services and collaborate and coordinate along with other agencies at the state and federal level to make sure that this public health campus, it really is a resource that meets everyone's needs um, much more broadly. So really grateful to everyone who's here um, and excited for this opportunity. I'll pass it on to Dr. Ojukutu. Great, good morning and thank you, Mayor Wu. So I just wanna start by saying that this is a really incredibly exciting announcement. Um, with this milestone reached, we can accelerate our focus on designing the services that will be provided on Long Island and eventually reopening the campus. I don't think that I can emphasize enough that the crisis that we are currently facing is enormous. Last year alone, there were more than 2,300 opioid-related overdose deaths in Massachusetts. Here in Boston, from 2019 to 2022, opioid-related deaths increased by more than 36%. That's more than twice the statewide rate of increase in the same time period. So it's really enormous. It's really a crisis. Needless to say, the challenges that we're facing have overwhelmed our current system of care for individuals living with substance use disorder and co-occurring mental illness. For many patients, our system is broken. There is no continuum of care. After short-term detox, many people return to the streets, they resume use, and they never enter longer-term recovery. 
So prior to closure, Long Island was a really unique public health resource. It was a place where people living with substance use disorder were able to rebuild their lives and they were removed from their surroundings and their current circumstances. And it was that space, that distance that the island offered really that provided an invaluable respite and time for recovery. So as we think about how we are going to rebuild Long Island, you know, we don't necessarily plan to replicate the programming that was on the island previously. Since 2014, our understanding of what is possible, what is evidence-based, and what is most effective, it has evolved. Programs on the previous Long Island weren't necessarily integrated. There was some fragmentation and disconnection from the mainland. So we believe that we can and we will do better. The new Long Island campus will be a hub for innovation and will provide an integrated continuum of care that I believe, and I think we all believe, will strengthen our system to promote health and well-being for people who inhabit the campus. So with that being said, just to update you, the plan for service provision is currently under development. Um, we initiated the planning process recently by, con by convening um, leadership from local provider organizations. These are really, as Mayor Wu said, national leaders in service provision for this population. And some of what we heard from them is that care must be coordinated, must be connected to the mainland, social determinants of health, such as housing supports, employment, workforce development must be addressed, racial equity must be emphasized, mental health services and medical care must be easily and readily available on the island because those are essential components to ensure good health outcomes. Um, in terms of timeline, we plan to have some services available when the bridge reopens in four years. We're using a phased approach. Some services offered initially, additional services uh, will be added over time. And really to accomplish this goal of having some services available when the bridge reopens, we have a lot of work ahead of us. And we plan to do that work in partnership with our service providers and community members and other stakeholders. I guess I would just say in, in conclusion, you know, as a physician who's cared for many people experiencing substance use disorder, the enormous potential that Long Island offers, it's, it's obvious. And I'm really thrilled that we're moving forward. Long Island is an asset for our city, for our state, and for our region. This is an island of opportunity. And um, it really feels like a once in a lifetime opportunity to change what care looks like for people who are in great need. So I look forward to helping move this project along and I will turn it to Chris Osgood, Senior Advisor for Infrastructure. Dr. Kudu, thank you so much. And Mary thank you so much and good morning all. Um, so just to, so really underscore, uh, with this milestone, we are shifting our focus from just permitting a bridge to really reopening a recovery campus as fast as we can. Um, I'm gonna briefly touch on two parts of the work. First is the actual building of the bridge, which is an effort being led by the public works team uh, with credit chief Yasha Franklin Hodge and our city engineer, Parajaya Singh. And the second part is around stabilizing the buildings themselves, which is uh, work being led by our public facilities team with credit to Chief Dion Irish and Commissioner Kerry Griffin. Um, on building the bridge, as the mayor said, as Dr. Chakudu said, our goal is to have the bridge open within four years. The bridge is fully designed. Five permits and approvals are now in hand. Uh, there's no current litigation, and there are only two remaining steps, as the mayor referenced. Uh, the first of those steps is the state's Office of Coastal Zone Management will do a federal consistency review. Uh, this is a step that can now advance uh, since the draft Chapter 91 license was issued yesterday. And the second and final permit uh, is a federal bridge permit from the US Coast Guard. Um, of note, this, uh, this year, the Coast Guard has already issued uh, preliminary and positive determinations on both the navigational impact of uh, this bridge project, as well as the historic preservation impact of this project. Uh, and so they will continue to do a review uh, and, uh, before issuing that final, um, that final permit. Uh, and while we don't have a specific timeline on either of those steps, either the Office of Coastal Zone Management uh, Review or the U.S. Coast Guard uh, Bridge Permit, 
Uh, we do expect those processes um, to be able to move forward given the significant work that both those offices have already done. And that may mean that uh, permits could be in hand by around the end of this year. And as we work on the permitting, we're also focused on bringing on the staffing to be able to lead the bridge construction work. Uh, the Public Works Department is now really gearing up in this regard. That means bringing on a project manager, our project management team uh, that's going to oversee the construction. And we expect uh, a request for proposal, an RFP, uh, to go out for that work shortly. Now, Doing work on the on the bridge, as uh, Dr. Ajakudu and the mayor both referenced, is one part of this. Also getting the buildings ready so that we can cut the ribbon on the bridge to services on the island is really important. Um, so we are also starting a set of work around stabilizing the buildings. Uh, this is a first step uh, that will need to be taken before retrofitting those buildings for the public health services uh, that they will eventually be home to. Uh, in the FY24 budget, uh, the mayor allocated $38 million uh, for building stabilization on Long Island. The city council approved that budget uh, in this past June. Uh, this fall, our public facilities team uh, will bid that work. We'll start that work uh, this coming spring uh, and do that work over the next two years. That's work that's going to include on uh, the uh, sort of repair to heating and ventilation systems, needed repairs to, to roofs and building envelopes, um, really focusing on 11 principal buildings that we imagine being uh, the heart of a future public health campus on the 35-acre existing campus on Long Island. Um, again, as has been said, uh, the purpose of doing work on the bridge and the purpose of doing work on the buildings is really in service of a greater purpose, which is really reopening that recovery campus on Long Island, uh, an effort that we can only do uh, in collaboration with partners throughout the region. So with that, I want to hand it over to uh, Dr. Stephanie Sullivan, the CEO of the Boston Healthcare for the Homeless program. Stephanie. Good morning and thank you. Um, since 1985, until the demolition of the Long Island Bridge in 2015, Boston Healthcare for the Homeless Program, along with other service agencies, um, had provided critical medical, behavioral health, and substance use recovery care and other services on the island's campus um, with the medical and shelter buildings. We are so grateful to Mayor Wu and the City of Boston for their commitment to this project and strongly support the collaborative response to rebuilding of the Long Island Bridge and resuming the critical health and housing services on the island. This project has the potential to be transformational for the person served and for the community by creating a space which will provide comprehensive healthcare and met for medically vulnerable individuals and promote healing for them and for the Boston community at large. For nearly 40 years, Boston Healthcare for the Homeless Program has been caring for individuals and families and unaccompanied youth who are experiencing homelessness with the highest quality medical and behavioral health care possible. We would be grateful to be part of the process to bring those services back to the island and promote the healing that is required and needed for this um, vulnerable population. Good morning, everyone. I'm Lindia Downey, the executive director at Pine Street Inn. I'm gonna echo, I think, a lot of what uh, you've heard from everyone, including the, the, the mayor. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity to rebuild a recovery campus that we sorely need and we have sorely missed. And, you know, we, Pine Street ran a number of programs out there for <clears throat> over 20 years. We had 200 men there every single night. We figured out how to get uh, services to people. And the campus really was the linchpin for many people in terms of long-term recovery, the opportunity to be away from the city, the opportunity to really focus on your recovery we had a job training program out there. I just see the potential as absolutely enormous. 
I think the second thing I would add is that we have learned a lot in these past number of years about treatment, about best practices, about evidence-based practice. We have an opportunity to rethink what we do out there. Um, it's not, the bridge is obviously a means to an end, but the chance to really sit as a group and talk about what really is working for people and what kind of services will really matter and how do we get people into long-term recovery so they can rejoin society, so they can become uh, what they want to be. So um, just really thrilled that we're here today, thrilled that the process is is moving forward um, and looking forward to what we can, uh, the vision that I think together we will be able to dream up for, for this particular campus. So thank you, and I'm handing it over to Brendan. Thank you, everybody. Um, it's um, very grateful to be here. Thank you, Mayor Wu and all the previous speakers. Um, I've been able to see your work up close for many years, uh, and I know how invaluable it is, so thank you again. My name is Brendan Little. I'm a person with lived experience with both homelessness and substance use disorder. Uh, my substance use and street homelessness started when I was very young. I was court ordered to various juvenile detention and drug treatment programs throughout my teen years. One that stuck out more than the others was Project Rebound on Long Island. I can still remember the scenic drive over the bridge to get to Project Rebound. In the weeks before being sent to the program, I had been sleeping in highway tunnels and sidewalks in Boston. The expanse of ocean on all sides and green terrain of Long Island felt inviting and calming, something that my young troubled mind and body desperately needed. The air was clean and nourishing. The quiet was disarming. My first night, I slept in a comfortable bed with an ocean view, a world away from the dark gravel of the Copley Square off-ramp tunnel. The most important effect of me being on this beautiful island was that it made me briefly consider that I was worthy of that space, a consideration that was the first step in my recovery journey. This to me is the most crucial part of Long Island. Its beautiful surroundings charge the people who receive care there with a the deep sense of worth. And these people happen to be the region's most vulnerable, the underserved, the overlooked, the poor. Not another exclusive island retreat for the wealthy, but an accessible jewel for the public good. As a young adult in recovery, I worked in the city of Boston supporting high-risk youth who were in the same juvenile detention centers I was in as a kid. For a few summers, I worked with these youth on the farm on Long Island and again was able to drive that scenic bridge, this time as a healthy housed adult in recovery, working to support the next generation of people who needed the island's healing properties. The services that existed on Long Island were far from perfect. Boston is actually better positioned now more than ever to strategically plan a continuum of programs, something that never happened when the island was operational and make the public health services there better than ever. I applaud Mayor Wu for her boldness and commitment to rebuilding this bridge and for her support of recovery and homeless services in other parts of the city as well. While Long Island can be a bit of a funhouse mirror in the public dialogue, or seem like just another political football. To me and countless others like me who received care there, Long Island will always be the warm bed with an ocean view, the beautiful place I was worthy of. Today is a big step to assure that future generations will know that they are worthy of this special place too. Thank you again. Thank you everyone. We'll now take any questions from the press. Feel free to raise your hand and we'll call on your name. 
Hi. Yeah. The um, prior estimates put the bridge cost at 80 million and the addiction, addiction recovery center at 540 million. Um, have there been updated estimates and is it around that amount? Chris, do you want to jump in? Sure, Mayor. Um, appreciate the question. So first on the bridge, uh, the mayor is currently allocated $81 million in the city's capital budget. Uh, we do expect the cost of the bridge uh, to be more than $100 million. Uh, there are two things which, uh, in addition to the project management team that we're going to be bringing on and the expertise of the Public Works Department itself, uh, that sort of help us uh, move this project forward both efficiently and expeditiously. One, as you see in the background of uh, uh, of the mayor's screen, uh, and as she referenced in her opening remarks, there are a set of existing piers uh, in the harbor already. And so the, uh, the bridge is really about building that superstructure across the existing uh, piers, as well as doing some work on the, on the piers itself, themselves. Uh, and second, large, uh, sections of the of the bridge, essentially each span between the pier, would be built on land, floated into the harbor, and then mounted on the piers. Um, all of which helps us be able to um, move the project forward uh, quickly uh, and be able to manage the costs well. Um, that's with respect to the bridge. The second part. Uh, the the ultimate cost of, of bringing the campus online will depend a little bit on the uh, on the services uh, and the phasing. So uh, we're really focused, as Dr. Jacudius mentioned, on sort of what the first phase would look like. Uh, and as we design a program for what that first phase would be, we'll have a clearer cost estimate of of what it'll take to fully retrofit uh, the buildings on the island. And I'll just add, um, we are we are starting with the vision of what uniquely can be sited on the island and can fit together so that we can prov truly provide that continuum that's needed uh, that will complement the services that uh, our administration has worked to partner with community organizations to even create a fresh uh, in over, over the last 18 months, as well as the longstanding services in Boston and that are planned in Boston. Um, and so we've already had uh, one convening with many of the healthcare recovery and housing providers who had previously operated on the island just to talk about um, now that we have a chance to really dream and and uh, get going on that dream what should how could things be different what should remain etc um, and so we're starting with bringing everyone together to really ensure that this will be a coordinated approach um, I imagine that as we are getting going on the bridge and all the detailed uh, pieces of the process to arrive at final cost estimates where we will also be um, finalizing what services and um, providers and, and coordination will, will go on the island itself with the campus. Um, private philanthropy may play a, uh, have the, the chance to play a role here as well as our partner organizations. Um, we want to make sure that this is available and accessible to all, getting the buildings rehabbed and then um, really tying together services, treatment, housing, and uh, workforce development. The Cummings Foundation, for example, has uh, expressed interest in, in playing a big role potentially, and uh, we will look to continue engaging everyone who is interested all across the city. Uh, there are so many stakeholders who care about providing services and really understand Boston's role in, in setting the national conversation about uh, what recovery and treatment and healing can all look like if, if we really focus on public health and, and put people at the center. Minash, I saw you had your, um, your hand up. Did you still have a question? 
Uh, it was answered. I actually do have a follow-up question, though. Um, Mayor Wu mentioned that there are two permits, I guess, that are left before, I guess, we can get to the next phase of this project. If she could just kind of outline what those are and what the expected timeline on those two uh, permits or when can be expected to receive them, essentially, I guess, get to the next step of this project. Uh, Chris mentioned a little bit before, so I'll just provide the, the top line summary um, of, of what he said, but I think we'll send out the recording also, Jessica. So if you scroll back a little bit, and, and he says it much more uh, eloquently, but um, they're both federal permits, a coastal zone management permit and uh, a, a Coast Guard permit. Both of them are tied to ensuring that um, either kind of checking off permits that have come before and making sure they match up with each other or um, relying on reviews that some of these agencies ha has, have already done in the past. So we expect these final two permits to come um, in a more accelerated way than, than the reviews attached to the, the previous permits. And um, Chris was saying that uh, the, the hope and uh, expectation is that by the end of this calendar year, we should be all set on permitting. Thank you, Mayor. Chris, anything else to add? Uh, a, a very sort of quick note, perhaps on, on timeline, uh, that that first step, which is it's not a, a permit, but a review by the state's Office of Coastal Zone Management, uh, we would expect to start essentially um, 21 days following the, the draft chapter 91 uh, license uh, issuance, which obviously was yesterday, so that uh, review could start as soon as this September. Uh, and Following the completion of that review is when uh, the U.S. Coast Guard uh, would be able to uh, move forward. The U.S. Coast Guard is also doing uh, a set of other additional reviews on top of the preliminary determinations they've already made around navigation and historic preservation. Um, but again, as, as the mayor said, we're happy to provide some additional information uh, afterwards if, if that's of help to anybody on this call. Thank you. Joe Catalano. Thank you. Uh, Mayor, I wonder if you could comment on the concerns uh, by the city of Quincy regarding uh, traffic and environmental impacts on the reconstruction of the Long Island Bridge. Um, I think what we see every single day and um, what cities are feeling really all across the country, uh, but certainly in the Commonwealth as well, is that we are all connected in the needs that our residents are facing. And we know, for example, that serving residents from Quincy and from all over the state at Mass and Cass and at Pine Street and, and Boston Medical Center and, and at so many of the, um, the organizations that are represented in the city of Boston, we are really striving to be a good neighbor in that way in terms of putting our resources, our time and energy and leadership into creating what will be essentially a regional public health campus. Uh, that will serve people from all over, uh, because that is what we are already doing now. At the same time, in the role of mayor, I completely um, identify with and uh, respect um, Mayor Koch's role in needing to ensure that all of the impacts that we might not be thinking about in our purview uh, that will impact his residents and constituents that he has to be thinking about and raising as issues. Uh, we did, I've, I've spoken with him a couple times. We've sat down about um, the, the bridge and, and the island and, and the campus, um, have chatted very recently about this latest permit as well. Um, so I know that 
he and I and mayors across the, the state share a sense of urgency that we have to do more for residents who need services and support. Um, and he is going to continue advocating to make sure that the quality of life impacts or other um, potential uh, impacts relating to traffic or congestion are on the table. And we are going to continue doing what we can do to always be aware of that, minimize those impacts. Um, we have really seen this in terms of a, a pretty successful operation in years past, and uh, we are looking to make sure that we can connect all the dots, uh, not only for the city of Boston, but for the residents from all across the region who will receive services here. If I may, just one more question. Um, another concern raised here in Quincy is uh, that Long Island may be used in the future for uh, commercial residential developments. Uh, can you guarantee that that won't happen? That is um, neither the plan nor um, determined nor defined in the permit application where we had to specify the, the use of what the bridge would eventually lead to. Will Boston need any permits from the city of Quincy for their bridge construction? Um, my understanding is no, Chris. What is that correct? Uh, that's with respect. Once the uh, that the Coast Guard permit would be the final permit that we will need for the uh, reconstruction of the Long Island Bridge. Okay. Thank you both. I appreciate it. Tori. Hey guys. Good morning. Um, I wanted to ask about. Um, uh, the, I know the RFPs are coming in and there are obviously a lot of different ideas, but you did mention this as like now that we can have our dream project. Can you talk about capacity that you're considering, like how many people and um, what kind of services would be provided and how this kind of ties into the development of other affordable housing? Because previously you mentioned it as this sort of, you know, moving people along to their next step. How does that fit into that? Basola, you want to dive in first? Sure, sure. No, I think that's a great question. I think the specific number of individuals that the campus would be capable of serving at any given time is going to depend on the service model that's selected, as well as the scope of the renovation and construction. Um, you know, we, we hope that the campus will eventually serve several hundreds of individuals at one time and certainly create opportunities for recovery and stability that don't currently exist within our system. Our hope is to work, as you sort of um, uh, implied, synergistically with what's happening on the mainland, um, particularly other um, services, other, you know, opportunities that are available on the mainland so that we do have a, a real strong continuum of care so that people, you know, if they're receiving one type of service and then they sort of move on to the next stage, then maybe they can move on to a further stage um, somewhere else so that there are linkages. And so that it's really a strong system. But the actual number, um, I think that's going to depend on some of our planning and we'll be able to offer you more details as that evolves. Okay. I also just wanted to quickly ask um, how any of these plans will affect if there will be any potential changes on Atkinson Street at Mass and Cass, you know, with the engagement center, with methadone clinics and services that are provided there, medical and otherwise. I think that's further down the line as we look to finalize what will be provided. I mean, certainly every single day at Mass and Cass, that drives the urgency to make sure that we're providing resources because as, as 
many individuals as we are able to connect with really life-changing housing, treatment services on Atkinson Street and through the Engagement Center and our partnerships uh, with Boston Medical Center, Pine Street and Recovery, um, Victory programs and, and so many others, the, the need continues to outpace what is available. And um, we are working person by person by person at Mass and Cass, but to have the scale and the, the chance to uh, really coordinate all of that on a, on a much different, with, with such greater capacity will be um, a game changer for Boston. So we're working to do that as quickly as possible and um, we'll continue to coordinate with all of the plans for uh, what is ongoing on, on the mainland as well. Thanks, Tori. Shira? Thanks for taking my question. And building off of Tori's question, given that this is four years away, and it's obviously going to take a lot of effort and coordination, what's going to be happening to ensure that people on Mass and Cast today can get the services that they need? Does the city have adequate services? And do you see a need for a change of strategy there? So I wanna, and others will um, chime in with, with much more expertise, but I do wanna just give a sense of what our administration has been working to do uh, at Mass and Cass and where things stand today compared to uh, a little over a year and a half ago um, compared to when the, the bridge came down in 2014. Um, it's, you know, when we, when we started, when I started in this role, um, there have been residents living in not just tents at Mass and Cass, but, but fortified encampments um, for many years at that point. And it was life or death, uh, not just in terms of recovery, but fires that were being started daily with the wood pallets and propane tanks, um, illnesses because the uh, sanitation and food uh, waste debris and everything was was gathering and, and um, the city was not doing the daily deep cleanings as today. Um, and it was very, very dangerous for many reasons. Um, and so when we worked to create the about 200 units of low threshold supported housing that include medical services, 24 hour monitoring, partnered with um, community organizations and, and experts on this, that has been truly um, transformational for many, many people um, at this moment out of the 200, about 200 people who were um, on our very first census and who we had gotten to know because they had been living at Mass and Cass when we started um, in this effort in January of 2022, more than half of those people have not only found housing in that first step, but transitioned all the way to permanent housing, usually because of case management support, job counseling, um, housing search support. And so more than half of the individuals originally at Mass and Cass when we started are now all the way in permanent housing, many steps forward in their recovery journey. And um, almost 500 people total have participated in some way in um, this low threshold housing continuum. We have served over 4,100 um, individuals through substance use um, and recovery 
treatment and services, including 150 residents in the last month alone. And so the work has been um, very, very intensive. And I do believe that we are at a different level and a, a different place than we were two years ago because the daily cleanings that are happening, the direct outreach, the staffing, the, um, the services that are being provided are coordinated every single day across multiple agencies in a way that um, previously was, was much more about um, just kind of minimizing the public attention or, um, or frankly, complaints from, from neighbors and, and surrounding areas. We've really taken a public health and housing and people-centered approach, and it has been working for the people and the individuals we've been able to place into the, the available slots. Um, at the same time, hundreds more individuals have arrived from all over, and um, we've hit a wall in terms of the uh, crowds and the need and the scale of services that are, are needed. And so um, we will be looking to make sure that public safety and public health continue to be um, a daily uh, effort that is going to protect everyone who's in the area so that we can focus on service delivery, housing, and, and treatment. Um, I am very, very concerned about the safety of everyone at Mass and Cass, uh, our residents who are seeking services, our public health outreach workers, our um, police officers who are there as part of the street outreach unit and the many, many folks who are public works team, everybody is working on a daily basis there. And we do need to make sure that we are uh, reducing some of the crowding, eliminating violence and um, some of the illicit activity that is driving that violence. So we will be looking to take a step um, to codify some of the uh, next steps and, and practices, potentially legislation or an ordinance that, um, that we are working on. And we'll make sure that we continue to coordinate with all of our community providers so that even in this four year period, as we are working to get the bridge and um, campus up and running on Long Island, that we can continue to provide for services and safety for those who are uh, coming to Boston in the meantime. Thanks, Mayor. Beth? Thank you. Hello, everyone. Um, some of my questions about Mass and Cass have been answered, um, but I, I was curious who would be eligible to access the services on Long Island? Um, another question, would you expect an appeal from the city of Quincy that could in any way set up a roadblock and sort of tie things up for a bit? And again, going back to some of the previous questions about Mass and Cass, because it is four years away and you talk about having hit a wall and there's concern about a criminal element there, what are you still developing an immediate plan um, to deal with that? Um Basola or um, Lindy or Stephanie, do you want to talk a little bit about eligibility or who will be served? Sure, sure. Um, thank you, Mayor Wu. So as I mentioned, Long Island is an asset for the city, for our state, and for the region. Um, our goal is to provide a continuum of services for individuals struggling with substance use disorders, as well as co-occurring mental illness. I think that as we sort of consider the service model, we have to think about 
what are the most pertinent and sort of um, critical needs? And that may be that, you know, we have a, a, a lot of individuals who are actively engaged in substance use, and we are, you know, discussing the possibility of expanding, you know, low threshold services on the island, which I think is, a, you know, a critical need and a viable option. Right now, many things are on the table. And I think part of this planning process is really drilling down and seeing what we need to do and what is actually what individuals and what services are best fit for an island, you know, and for an island campus versus for services that are here on the mainland. So that's going to be a strategic process. And I, I definitely think that, um, you know, we'll, we'll obviously have updates, you know, in the coming months uh, to give you a better sense of exactly, you know, who we would be thinking would be best best served out there. On the, on the appeal, Chris? Sure, thanks, um, Beth, your question of uh, on the appeal, um, I can't say whether or not it will be appealed, but if it is appealed, um, which it can be, it would go to the DEP Office of Appeals and Dispute Resolution. Um, that would be a six to 12 month uh, appeal process. Two really important notes though uh, about this. Uh, first is that uh, each of the four other permits or approvals or certificates that we've received have been appealed. And in every single case, the city has been successful in those appeals, um, largely because of the, uh, the focus in the design process that has gone to minimizing the environmental impact uh, of, of this bridge project. Uh, and so we would expect, uh, or we have similar confidence that if there's an appeal in this case, uh, that we would uh, in the end still be successful in receiving a chapter 91 license for the bridge project. Second, and almost more importantly, even during that appeal process, we still can move forward with the stabilization of the work and mobilizing to be able to build that bridge. Um, that the sort of substantive work that we've been talking about uh, today to move us towards a reopened campus would still be able to move forward. We wouldn't uh, be able to break ground on a bridge until uh, the uh, resolution of that appeal uh, and the subsequent issuance of uh, the CZM uh, uh, a consistency review and the Coast Guard permit, but we'd be able to move ahead with stabilization of the bridge and mobilizing our team to be able to, uh, stabilization of the building and mobilizing our team to uh, be able to rebuild the bridge. But it could potentially slow you down if there is an appeal. Uh, it could slow down the issuance of the final permits, but it wouldn't slow down a lot of the sort of work that we need to be doing to get us to break ground. So it's hard at this point to say whether it would have a substantive impact on the overall timeline. Uh, but it would certainly add an additional step towards the uh, the final permits, uh, the, the final issuance of all permits. And just just to clarify, um, I, I do expect an appeal. I, as, as I mentioned, I spoke with the mayor uh, yesterday, and so he, he did let me know. And um, we are, again, um, have, have been through many stages of uh, this process before, and um, we are going to wait for the... Uh, that appeal to be resolved to move forward. As Chris had mentioned earlier, we are bringing on the project managers. We're getting going with everything um, proceeding uh, with the DEP permit and uh, as the, the sign that we're good to go and start moving forward. The actual construction uh, bit of the process is going to be the last stages of it. So we have plenty to do and to work on, as Chris has mentioned, uh, before breaking ground and we will get going on that and make sure we're moving as quickly as possible. And then the issue just about the, the sort of the immediate, because we are four years away, the, the immediate um, plan to deal with, you know, what's become the criminal element down on Mass and Cass. 
Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a very, very difficult um, situation when there are so many um, residents in need gathered in one location. And there are um, also individuals who are um, looking to prey on people or, or um, kind of exploit the vulnerabilities that are there. And so we will continue to provide outreach, you know, Boston Healthcare for the Homeless and um, Boston Public Health Commission and so many other uh, teams are, are working to try to continue connecting people to services every single day. It is a very, you know, I've, I've done a ride along with uh, various team members who play different roles uh, at Mass and Cass from the public works team to public health to um, Boston police and everyone kind of says the same thing that when there are hundreds of people gathered in one location, it is a very different dynamic connecting people to services than uh, when you're able to have a, a, a bit of a smaller, more personal conversation. And so we try to create the opportunities for that to happen. We will come to every single day. We are, uh, you know, under Tanya Del Rio, our, uh, who, who runs our coordinated response team, we're looking to improve what we can do and continue to do so. I'm incredibly proud of the work that our team does there every single day. And everyone is always debriefing, giving feedback, finding ways where for individual residents or for um, the, the team's processes overall that we can get better and, and do more. But we continue to ask for support from other cities and from um, other levels of government because this is a challenge that cities across the country are grappling with. And um, I believe that we've created a model that shows what works in Boston. It's difficult to scale that to the um, capacity that's needed given the um, land constraints that we have in within the city of Boston proper and um, with the, the funding resources. And so this is a chance again, as quickly as possible to get going on um, what could be a fundamental foundational, uh, a, a fundamental transformational um, change for the dynamic of, of um, how we can serve individuals rather than what we're trying to do day to day, which is really provide the services um, person by person wherever possible. All right, Deb, we'll close it out with you. We're at time. Okay, um, thank you for taking my question. I appreciate it. Um, and, and some of this has been answered, um, but I'm just wondering, you know, you mentioned that you're looking at an ordinance, um, Mayor Wu, what, what type of ordinance might help in the mass and cast situation? And when do you think that plan might be more formalized to show what the new strategy might be for that area? We continue to um, work and and plan to finalize um, any potential language over the next couple of weeks. Um, as mentioned, this is urgent and um, every day we, we need to find a way to ensure that public safety is, is um, something that we can guarantee in that area. Uh, this is also the moment in terms of planning for when a couple months from now, temperatures will drop again, and it becomes a, a very different challenge when there is such risk to 
life safety during the colder fall and, and winter months. Um, and so, you know, the, the concern has been that when we see the types of um, violence or um, drug trafficking or, or other activity that is concerning, it is often connected to and, and shielded by um, tents in the area. We are, um, there's a very different, and, and maybe Tanya could speak a little bit on this too, uh, from being on the ground every single day. But during the day, when we see many of the concerns for safety and, and many of the incidents, um, it is a different scale of population of residents there at Mass and Castor on, on Atkinson Street compared to uh, the number of individuals who are looking for shelter and, and needing a place to stay overnight, which is a much, much smaller number. And so finding a way to uh, really connect people to services and a, a, a roof or a bed, warm bed and um, place to stay is a different endeavor than um, making sure that we are reducing the violence and, or eliminating the violence and reducing uh, criminal activity in the area. So we currently have a series of um, protocols in place in terms of how we coordinate with tents and um, the need for cleanings and, and the executive order that's on the books, but really looking to codify that in an ordinance that would empower the Boston police to have clear authority and um, ability to help manage what our public health outreach teams are asking for, which is to um, help make sure that we're not shielding and creating the opportunities for um, weapons and uh, trafficking and, and other um, types of criminal activity to happen in the area. Tanya, do you wanna add anything? Mayor, I think you represented the situation on the ground really well. Uh, the tents and the structures themselves are a real barrier to safety when, um, especially when we are providing other shelter options available, they're shielding very dangerous activity, including you know drug trafficking, violent acts. And so they also are undermining the work of the case management and the public health work that's ongoing in the area. So um, yeah, a new approach to enhance safety while also continuing the model that um, the mayor described earlier as far as referring people to low threshold housing, making that access for um, substance use treatment readily and immediately available to people is something that we wanna continue building on and hopefully see expanding throughout the region. Uh, but, but we agree that not, not only um, are the people who are living in the encampment constantly victims of violent acts, it's it's now really also concerning to staff members and outreach workers who are present in the area. So um, uh, I think we're trying to find that coordination between public health, public safety, and, uh, and uh, make sure that we can provide a safe and as healthy an environment as we possibly can. Would this essentially be an ordinance that would allow police to remove tents? There are... Um... Again, we haven't finalized the language and there are uh, many considerations that we are looking to, to work through in terms of how we can ensure that um, housing is still the focus. We would, we would not wanna take an action like that without also being able to kind of take stock of what the impacts of this would be in um, the need for immediate overnight housing or um, continued need for low threshold housing. Um, we also want to be sure that we are completely prepared for 
any impacts on um, surrounding neighborhoods and 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 uh, the area. So there's a number of components. I, I mentioned an ordinance as one part of it, but there are you know an ordinance on its own would not solve um, any part of the situation. It really continues to need to be a, a multifaceted approach from from every side of ensuring that there's clear role for public safety as well as expanded um, opportunities for services for housing and um, for for case management overall and we you know we've gone through so many uh, different ways of of finding that extra capacity to add staffing make sure it's overnight um, expand the geographic reach of the teams and the services that they're doing um, and so we need to push a little bit more on the public safety side of things, um, given the the rise in violence and and what we're experiencing and and what we hear from people on the ground who are seeking services. 